recording. I said, this, that's brand new. I hmm. suspect somebody had a privacy complaint. Well, it, it is an issue in some states that you, uh, have to, yeah. you have to inform people that you're recording. Like California, I think you yeah. have to inform. Uh, well, yeah, it, it's uh, whether you have a, uh, I think it's, uh, a single person consent or something like that. As, as long in some states, as long as any one person who's in on the call knows about the recording, the recording is legal. But in other states, everyone in on the call has to know that it's being recorded or it's not legal. I think that's the case then. Well, so Louisiana is, yeah, Louisiana is a single person consent state, so it's like not a problem here. I'd love- the, uh, the, it's actually the cops got that put in uh, so they could so they could have. Uh, confidential informants wear recorders <laughs> you know, and it's kind uh, of, put wires on them and shit. You can just imagine an NSA lawyer being like, well, actually, Your Honor, my agent knew that the conversation was being recorded, so therefore it's okay. And it's like, but he wasn't on the phone call. It was between two people, and he was in Fort Meade. But he knew it was being recorded. So this is going to be the first ever episode where we actually started with me taking a pee break. So, um... Episode 455 with Roger Williams, author of my favorite book, Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect. Roger, tell him where to get it. Uh, okay. Hey, uh, if you would uh, like a paper copy of my book, The Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect, which Tommy just said is one of his favorite books, then uh, I would encourage you, uh, instead of buying it from Amazon or the usual suspects, to go to Lulu, L-U-L-U.com and buy it from them because they are the publisher of origin and the price will be the same you won't save any money doing it but what will happen is because they are the publisher of origin uh their contracts require them to charge the same that uh that you would be charged by amazon or Barnes and noble or any of the other people on the network but they don't have the overhead because they are not using the network and taking the rest of it so i end up getting a lot more money they uh if you buy it from amazon i get about a dollar fifty and if you buy it from lulu i get more like six dollars so uh just a hint uh if you want an ebook uh there are several uh, versions uh, that you find on the web, and they're linked on my personal website, localroger.com. Those you can get anywhere. Uh, that that doesn't apply. It's mainly the paper version. It has an ISBN. It's all you know, nice, nice and professional. Uh, of course, it's self-published as hell, but whatever you know. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, and uh, before I started doing these spiels for Tommy, uh, my revenue from Lulu for a quarter tended to be between $80 and $150 for a quarter. Uh, but the first quarter 2021 check I got from them was over $700. And the second quarter check that I got last week was over $400. So uh, somebody out there rocks. Thank you, guys. Thank you, listeners. I told, and I guarantee there are no regrets. Anyone that bought it, I can imagine that that you thoroughly enjoy the book. It is the best book. I got these weird hairs sticking out that I can see. If you can't tell, I got a haircut, but uh, I got some weird hairs sticking out. I like the haircut. I think it's kind of sharp. No comment from Roger. <laughs> so, uh, of course, I. I- I, I do I do this every few months. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's why a, I have the programmer ponytail and back. I never do anything with that. It's it's. I, I have saved tens of thousands of dollars because I I cut my own hair and uh, 
it's, it's like ever since the movie Sneakers came out, it's like, man, I'm fashionable for a programmer. I think I think getting haircuts every like two months has helped fine hone the podcast skill. You sit down <laughs> with someone you've never talked to before, and I try to have them laughing is, by the end of it. Yeah. Oh, and I mentioned <gasps> that I got that. And Blitz, Drugs in the Third Reich by Norman Oler. How do you like it I, so I, far? I, I, so if you had him on, like, what, four times? And, and I finally realized, it's like, I need to buy the dude's book and read it. And it's frigging brilliant. I finished it this morning. Isn't it? But you got the audio, but you got the audio book, didn't you? Yeah. Let me show you something okay. that you probably didn't appreciate, okay? Let's see. This part here is footnotes and references. Jesus. It's a 300-page book, and it's 60, 60 pages of footnotes, references, credits, and everything. This dude did some serious scholarship, and he dotted every friggin' I and crossed every T. Norman it is Oler. amazing. Norman, you yeah. animal. Plus there's, some il- plus, there's some illustrations in here, which are pretty cool. Uh, but, but, yeah, the main thing is just like, no, it's a work of scholarship, and... What I like about it, though, is like uh, considering it's a complete rewrite of how World War Two went. Yes. I mean, I've 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 read the rise and fall of the of the Third Reich like five times through. And this is a completely new take on it. The 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 whole the fact that that it was methamphetamine that made the Blitzkrieg work through France because the German soldiers didn't have to sleep. Yeah. No one had ever like put that together, but he makes the case completely solidly, and it was just like, and, and with that, and then out of that chapter into into Hitler's decline, mm-hmm. uh, as Doctor Morel, as he mentions this, yeah, there's a thousand page biography of Hitler, and Doctor Morel was mentioned like five times, and he has an entire almost hundred page long chapter it's- about Doctor Morel and the whole thing with Hitler, and it's like. No one knew any of this. It's insane. Or they had bits and pieces of it, but he went and he put the whole thing together. And it's like, this was, oh, and the first 10 or 20 pages, which are about the, the war on drugs as it started, the the anti-drug pogrom Mm -hmm. early in Nazi Germany. And I lived through the 1980s. I, you know, I remember Nancy Reagan saying, just say no and all Mm -hmm. of that bullshit. And it made my blood run cold. I mean, and I'm sure that that was deliberate. I'm sure, but he didn't hit you over the head with a hammer. He just phrases it Mm -hmm. in such a way that if you remember those times, you realize all we're doing. They were trotting down the same path they're trying to yes. they just didn't didn't get as far but they were working on it it's like Dude, it's i've told my my dad's a huge history buff my dad's one of the most well-read people i know and i told him i was like you need to read blitz because nothing completely casts world war ii in a different light than blitz it makes yeah. everything make sense the the frantic the idea of the thousand year reich and operation barbarossa and these different fronts it's because he was high on coke and then he'd cancel him later the day when he later in the day when he came down yeah and 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 the he he just yeah and and he has 
like these records. He even has illustrations in the book of the of the drug records from Morel about what was prescribed when and drug X. Yeah. You know, injection and, as uh, always. Injection as always. Yeah. yeah. So it's 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 amazing. It's just like it pulls so many things together that you've just never seen before. Uh, and and all of a sudden, it just wow! It makes sense. These people are all just like fucking strung insane, out and high. And, insane! <laughs> how how fucking crazy is Doctor Morel with his uh, his concoctions? It's like bulls testicles, liver of horse, and like yeah, like, like dried milk powder and like chamomile tea. Whip it up Just getting all of the organs. Ship them to me. Yeah, I need all of the blood. I cannot be expected <laughs> to give an advantage. My and it's like Jesus, and it's just. It's all so insane. How about D9, the drug D9 that they yeah. give to those kids? My God. Absolutely yeah. insane. They're, they're starting to really go off the deep end in a more official layer there. Oh, yeah. No, it's, 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 yeah. And, and, and yet, it, and, it, and it did spread because it was because of that that the British started using Benzedrine and uh, the uh, – uh, yeah, I think the U in the U.S. it was still mainly caffeine until the end, but uh, they uh, the the whole idea that uh you know these uppers these 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 dangerous drugs were a a, a military weapon that they you know they conquered France in two yeah. weeks because no yeah. one had to sleep. Yeah, and it's then like, and then you start. No one had drawn that before. It's like you know they're like it's like no hell. It's like, it's like it was a brilliant military thing, and 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 he's going. It's like the the people at the vanguard were moving so fast that as their superiors were trying to tell them to hold back, the orders couldn't get to them because they were yeah. moving so yeah. fast. The orders because, were already they weren't yeah. sleeping. Yeah, and they were just yeah. How yeah? So it's, in, it's, it's uh, insane. It, it, it opened up a whole new window yeah. into how the whole thing went down. It yeah. was amazing. Absolutely insane. So, and and so, it, anyway, so that was what I've been doing for the last couple of days, fuck reading yeah. that book. Fuck yeah. And it's, and then, yeah, we'll, we'll finish up on it. Is, uh, so you, will you, will you realize that all those Operation Paperclip scientists we brought over, we also brought over the drug researchers. They, we took the best and brought them right over here. <laughs> Straight to Fort Detrick, Maryland. <laughs> it didn't, Blitz didn't end with Blitz. It's, uh, and as Mr. Oler alluded yeah. to, his next book is going to touch on that. But, Roger. Well, he had also mentioned the one about alcohol in the early, yeah, uh, yeah. In the early days. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. I keep pestering, I keep emailing him. I'm like, when are you going to write the alcohol book? And it's just, <laughs> whatever, whatever three letter agency is tasked to monitoring this podcast has got to be very confused about me. They're like, he's very obsessed with uh, an alcohol background on the Third Reich. But today, Roger is going to is going to serenade us with... Uh... We're going... Actually, take it we away, will begin Take the it away. Okay, so let me rearrange my screens a bit here. Um, the Curators is a series that I wrote for Reddit. Uh, over the course of about two years. And the original idea was, uh, I am very uh, convinced by the rare earth theory, which says basically that the earth has a number of remarkable qualities 
that uh, without all of these qualities, it would not have been stable enough for long enough for complex life forms like ourselves to have evolved. So uh, the rare earth theory says that life may be common in the universe, extremophile, bacterial, you know, microscopic life, but the very complex life forms like us uh, may not be because uh, we had to have a stabilizing moon, the Cambrian explosion, a number of uh, other events happened that were necessary to clear the way for us. Uh, and the basic premise of the curators is, well, if, if your question is how to have a galactic civilization when you might only have one or two habitable planets in the galaxy that could have a civilization, well, somebody made them. And that's the curators. Fuck yeah. So. And, Raj, uh, today more than yeah, today, so, uh, we, we, sorry, we got like a delay going on. Today more than ever, I've had yeah. to like pee nonstop. So if at any point I get up, just keep reading. I'll mute my microphone and I'll go pee. But don't stop reading. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, so anyway, each of these episodes is around 2,000 words. And uh, there are four books the first is the longest. It's about 80,000 words. It's 50 episodes. But the episodes are short. And this was meant to mimic the pacing of a uh, Saturday afternoon serial at the movies when my dad was a kid. And the thing about this to bear in mind is that I didn't think ahead, especially in part one. When I wrote a segment, I got to the point where I felt it was complete. And I didn't even think about the next one until after I published that one and read the comments on Reddit. And then I considered, you know, so it's like I would drop the episode on Saturday, on Saturday generally became my habit. And I wouldn't even start to think I would normally write the next one on Tuesday or Wednesday. Uh, and I kept this up for like a year. <laughs> uh, so the interesting thing about this is, is that uh, as we are starting uh, this is something my readers didn't know at the time, but it's in the twenty in the twenty forties, and the human race has just invented a faster than light drive. We haven't built any spaceships with it though yet. We've we've just proved the concept, and aliens show up. So, we go from this to some much more epic shit <laughs> in the course of the story. So. Uh, the Curators Part 1. It had been three years since the Fold ship appeared in our sky, and I was a bit amazed to find one of our alien visitors on my appointment book. The aliens could travel between the stars, but they had a very limited ability to move between their orbiting ship and the Earth's surface. So we had brought them a docking ring and with their help affixed it to their ship so that we could uh, shuttle do shuttle service. There were thousands of individuals of several races from different star systems on their ship, but only a handful had actually made it to the Earth's surface, and now one of them was sitting across my desk from me, and I had no idea why. I'm honored and puzzled, I said. You are your world's foremost expert on patterns that emerge from the dermis of your species, it said. My visitor was bipedal, but had a chitinous exoskeleton and didn't wear clothes. Its color changed according to its mood. At the moment, it was bright blue. It spoke through an electronic translator that mimicked human inflections pretty well. And I had no idea what gender it was or even whether our idea of gender made any sense to it. I study diseases of the skin, I said. Birthmarks are also part of my work. I am seeking the mark of the curators. 
none of your people have ever said anything about this. If I may, I made my terminal available and my visitor navigated to a diagram of two equilateral triangles arranged point to point. This diagram appears somewhere on the dermis of every multicellular species the curators have affected. He arranged a slideshow which quickly showed me the same design in colors on skin, colored or missing hair, colored or missing scales, and colored and differently textured chitin. If I may, it said, and it stood and turned around, bowing slightly. There was the pattern, about six centimeters across and horizontal at about the point a human would call the small of its back. I can't say that I've ever seen that. I said, this is remarkable. I have observed the mark of the curators on thousands of individuals, of hundreds of species, and shared records of its occurrence with hundreds of thousands of species with my fellow researchers. What is its incidence? For intelligent species, it is 100%. I have to ask if your species modesty habit might be hiding it for some reason. I assure you, I have no prurient interest in your reproductive apparatus. I sighed heavily. This was certainly not something I'd anticipated in medical school, but I moved to the open floor and disrobed. The alien examined my body with the attention a lover might show, but a growing agitation that was anything but amorous. Its exoskeleton slowly turned green as the puzzlement increased. This is remarkable, it finally said for the first time sitting down. I have studied the curators for my entire career, and to my knowledge, nobody has ever encountered a member of a species with language, much less space travel that does not have the mark. Maybe it would help if you told me something about these curators. I have no idea what you're talking about, I said as I put my clothes back on. That is also remarkable. Every sapient species we know of has known of the curators. Well, I can assure you we don't. I'm pretty well educated by human standards, and I think I'd know if we did. The curators are vastly powerful, and they love carbon-based intelligent life. They do not intervene often in the path of any particular world, but when they do, as far as we know, their powers have no limit. When they find a lifeless world or proto-world with promise, they intervene to improve the chances of becoming life-bearing. When they find a barren but habitable world, they introduce simple microbic life. When they find a world where microscopic life has increased in complexity and remade the environment, they make sure it becomes multicellular. When they find a world where multicellular life has become complex enough to support intelligence, they insert genomic, key genomic factors to encourage that. When they find a world with life capable of understanding, they encourage the development of technology. But they also mock what they have altered. I suppose I shall have to find a geneticist. There is also a genomic mark, which is less likely to degrade via evolution. As a doctor, I have access to the human genomic library, I said. What is it you're looking for? It gave me a sequence of, this doesn't occur anywhere, nor does any subpart of it more than 20 pairs long. The alien became even more agitated. This is truly remarkable, it said. Its color began to turn from green to dark violet. Perhaps these curators simply never came to Earth. Oh, no, they certainly did. The formation of your moon, which uh, helpfully stabilizes your axis of rotation, almost certainly them. The occurrence of such large satellites around planets of this type is almost 20 times what might be expected by chance. Your Cambrian explosion, also curators. 
such an event has happened on every world we know of with multicellular life, and in many cases it is mocked. Other possibilities are in the record, but also most likely your KT impactor, which ended the era of the animals you call dinosaurs. Wait, if these curators love life so much, why would they hit our world with an asteroid and almost wipe out all life? They don't love life. They love intelligent life. Your fossil explorations have drawn a detailed picture. Your archaeologists are among the best I've ever encountered. Life on Earth had stagnated in a stable pattern for tens of millions of years, with ravenous monsters dominating the most productive continents. The curators are known to intervene in this way in such cases. They left the coast clear so your ancestors could evolve into you. If they love intelligent life so much and they're so powerful, why don't they just make it from scratch? We don't know. That is great mystery. All of our races have pondered for literally millions of your years. We think that they want to encourage, not create, and be surprised by what arises. So they create favorable conditions, but they do not directly create what they want. So how do they intervene to encourage technology? They leave gifts. Papers, drawings, artifacts, every species has its tales of the mysterious package that gave the idea for steam power or electric power distribution or the fold interstellar transport. In fact, there's an interesting thing. We found your world because we detected an anomalous fold pattern, which we thought might be the signature of a fold ship in peril. But it turned out you were just commencing research and doing experiments. You hadn't had a gift to guide you. We've been helping your science finish the... Maybe we just did it ourselves without their help. I don't believe that has ever happened before, the alien said. Well, everything has to happen for a first time. And I wrote to be continued. Fuck you. So, I remember. Uh, yeah, I remember the first one. I don't, I don't want to interrupt, though. Keep reading. I remember. Yeah. Part two. When I decided to study dermatology, I never dreamed it would result in my becoming an astronaut, much less visiting actual aliens on their starship. But the fold ship was now getting closer and closer and bigger and bigger through the windows of the personnel shuttle. And when I finally spotted the docking ring humans had given them, it was like a wedding ring that got lost on the side of a mountain. I had been told there were 1,500 individuals of 22 species on the ship, and they were all manner scaly, furry, feathered, and naked. The human habit of wearing clothes didn't seem to be a big thing off Earth and was a source of some curiosity on our hosts. My primary host, the researcher I call K because I can't pronounce any of the alien names, allowed us to how there were some species who had what he called deviant modesty habits here and there in the galaxy. It was a primary suspicion of it that we were hiding our marks of the curator for some reason until I allowed it to inspect my dermis thoroughly. Fortunately, it shared my values as a doctor and was as courteous as it could be despite its agitation. The ship wasn't spinning, but it had some kind of local interior gravity. I guess we hadn't got that memo from yet from the curators either. There were other scientists on the shuttle, but most of the passengers were diplomats. The aliens seemed quite puzzled that we had no single world authority they could correspond with. For practical reasons, their worlds all had different governments and of many different forms and philosophies, but each of their worlds tended to be unified. Our guys reminded them that we are a very young species by their standards, having only mastered steam travel a couple of hundred years ago. They seemed astonished that we had gotten into space so quickly after that. Apparently, the curators don't pass out the gifts quite that often. 
Finally, I was in a stateroom, which had been furnished to a pretty decadent human standard. Apparently, there were dozens of architects and living space designers and their crew, and our world presented them with new palettes of playthings. The distilled liquor I requested was indistinguishable from Jack Daniels, even though I knew they had synthesized it on the ship. We didn't need a very large sample, and when we knew you were favored it, we had one of the other guests bring us a few drops to analyze, Kay told me. I still don't know why I'm here, I said, as I sipped my Jack D while lounging in a bathrobe in my decadent starship stateroom. You know your species skin better than anybody, and it is the mark of the curators that we seek, Kay said. I thought we had pretty well established that the curators haven't marked humans, and I don't seem to have done anything noticeable on Earth since the unfortunate ex-dinosaur business. That seems likely, but my colleagues will need more evidence before they believe that. I sighed heavily, imagining myself doing the disrobing and examination thing in an auditorium. The sacrifices we make for knowledge. The lights turned red and started blinking. What the hell is this? I asked. Oh, the fold ship is leaving Earth, Katie said. And when is it coming back? I asked with a bit of bite in my voice. I had just meant to visit the ship, not to leave the solar system with it. It will come back when it is appropriate. And as I watched through the window, the image of the Earth became dim, as though seen through a gray filter until it was barely visible. Then there was an impossibly bright flash of light, and when my vision recovered, I was looking at an alien star field and a gas giant planet. Surely nobody lives there, I said. It was dimly lit and seemed likely that even a moon couldn't possibly get enough sunlight to harbor life. <coughs> No, we will perform a few fold maneuvers in the gas planet's gravitational field to adjust our local velocity before folding over to our host world. We did the same thing when we arrived at Sol, using the gravity of your solar world Neptune to match velocity with your Earth. Wait, if, if you can fold the ship from the bottom of gravity well out of it, doesn't that make the fold drive a perpetual motion machine? Yes, it violates your so-called first law of thermodynamics. We created an energy to power our ship and cities using similar principles. This is going to drive our physicists nuts. A failure to accept it was part of your physicist's problem creating your own full drive. Now that we have proven it is possible, they are well on their way to success. Five Earth days later, we were orbiting a blue world, one which was Earth-like, but also very obviously not Earth. The shuttles which came to ferries to the surface were powered by some kind of field projected from the surface. This was also used to launch the components to be assembled into large structures like the fold ship itself. But the generator required a local gravity well to work and so could not be used in space, which is why we humans had to provide ferry service at Earth. I learned that our hosts were quite bemused at our use of chemical rockets, which they had never bothered to develop to such a high degree. If you don't mind, I'd like to take a sample of your flesh so that we can sequence your genome ourselves, Kay said. It's not that we don't trust you or your skills, but the idea that you've been untouched by the curators is going to be very hard for some of us to believe, and it would make a better case if we used methods we know. I allowed blood and saliva samples to be taken and a detailed photographic survey to be taken of my skin. Most of the other humans on board are diplomats and engineers, and I verified that human modesty habits would make them bristle at similar requests. The following day, Kay and I took the shuttle to the surface and visited the genetic lab. It took about an hour for them to sequence my genome, and as the results unfolded, the operator of the sequencing machine changed hue until it was a spectacular bright green. 
This is quite remarkable, it kept saying. Can you explain just how? Your genome does contain fragments of curator marks, it said, but they are highly mutated. It has been hundreds of thousands of generations since the curators touched your ancestors. The last thing I can see is fairly sure is that they made your ancestors omnivorous. That was probably a few million years ago, I said. <coughs> exactly. And yet you have language, civilization, architecture, and space travel, clearly all without their help. This is unprecedented. Just how do you tell? Remember that we've never seen any of these gifts, so we don't know what you're talking about. Kay turned dark red. Of course, we simply hadn't thought of that. Let's go to the museum. The same generator that powered space shuttles powered flying ground transport, so the aliens had what were basically flying cars. They were also automatic and self-navigating and shared some kind of public system. We were at the museum, which was half a continent away, in about an hour. Kay produced a set of what looked like guy glasses. I had these made to your species form factor, Kay said. They should make it possible for you to interpret the exhibits. I put them on and looked at the front of the building. The indecipherable squiggle above the door suddenly said, Museum of Curator Artifacts. We went inside. We can skip the early exhibits which are about the development of habitable worlds and life since we are pretty sure the curators did those things on earth toward the back of the building we reached an exhibit with a large flat rock covered with diagrams and inlaid with gemstones at the center was some kind of agate that turned that glowed red the sign called this a prometheus stone this was the gift of how to make fire for some ancient people Kay said this one is a replica they are given to every primitive race, so they must have been lost or destroyed, even though the gift of fire itself remained. Only four of the genuine article are known to exist in the galaxy. It is quite possible that there is one on Earth, or was once, because it seems to be associated with the diet-widening modification you were given. Our ancestors were herbivorous and couldn't eat meat until we learned to cook it, I said. Fire and omnivorism are thought to be closely linked for us. But it is also thought that we may have spent a long period of time harvesting fire from natural sources like lightning strikes before we learned to make it from scratch. The Prometheus Stone illustration showed the making and use of a fire drill, a method human adventurers still use to make fire under primitive conditions. I spent two days going through the museum. The aliens were quite obsessed with details of their gifts and learned a lot about the curators that helped them if very little about the curators themselves or their ultimate motivations. The fold ship will soon return to Earth, but I would like to suggest an alternate destination for you, Kay said. There's another fold ship we can take to Scree, which is the homeworld of another relatively young race. They are doing archaeology, and it would give you a chance to see some actual curator artifacts and meet people who are doing current research on the curators. They would probably also like to meet a member of your species, given your remarkable lack of curation. I could think of a hundred reasons why it was a bad idea, but in the end, I couldn't resist. All the diplomats and engineers returned to Earth, but I became the first of my species to visit two alien worlds. Part three. Kay brought me to the dig site and introduced me to the alien leading the excavation. 
My great aunt has been an archaeologist, and I had visited her dig sites as a child, so much of the work was familiar. Unlike cave species, these aliens were more like earth mammals, stouted and furry. But the aliens working the site had all shaved themselves bare. Their mark of the curators was right above their genitals and quite prominent when they were shaved. Several of the scientists made time to visit when Kay told them where I was from. It is amazing to meet a specimen of species so untouched by the curators, he said with a slight bow. We aren't entirely untouched by them. Apparently, they use their usual methods to make our world habitable and encourage early life. But after changing us from herbivores to omnivores, they apparently didn't do anything else. Remarkable, just remarkable. And what are you investigating here? Oh, we are fairly sure this is the place where the curators gave us writing. The site is well preserved because it was buried by a volcanic eruption three ago, and we are hoping to find the tablet. If it still exists, it will be one of about a hundred known to exist in the galaxy. The translator didn't get the time frame. Kay consulted a tablet computer. 800,000 of your years, it said. Wow, our modern form species is only about 130,000 years old. The scientists looked at Kay and Kay said something to the tablet, which said something in a language that sounded like a thousand wiener dogs yapping for dinner. Oh, that is remarkably short, and without help or hints, remarkable. It took us almost a million years to move from riding to space travel on sweet, Kay said. This translator not doing names business is getting annoying. Well, translators need to be told what to call things in your language. Apparently, nobody has given our world a human name. What would you call it? Well, you came on a voyage of discovery and discovered us. So how about Seville? That's the where the first voyage to circumnavigate the Earth started. Fitting, said the lead archaeologist. Pick one for our world. What would you consider your world special for? Our world isn't particularly special. We're a young race by the standards of the galaxy, though obviously not as young as you humans. We do seem to have a high number of preserved artifacts, no, ironically because a volcanism frequently buries them. If you don't find it too gruesome, then I will call your world Pompeii. That is the human city that was buried by a volcano 2,000 years ago. Unfortunately for the humans who lived there, but we learned a great deal digging them up. You had to do archaeology to learn about people who practically lived yesterday, he said. Your species does move fast. We will carry your name Pompeii with honor. What I didn't know at the time was that the alien computers are all interconnected through periodic fold transactions, and my names were distributed through the galaxy within a few weeks. I also started a somewhat annoying trend of other people naming alien worlds after human cities, but I had to call them something, and the human habit of letting the first human visitor name a place persisted. Just what would this tablet look like if you find it, I asked. Kay offered the use of his own tablet. Of the tablets known to exist, about five still function, the archaeologist said. They were active devices which would talk to you when you touched symbols. He showed me the screen. The tablet resembled a flat stone but functioned much like a tablet computer. In the video, the hand of another species alien was touching symbols, which indeed made the thing squawk like a parrot. It's a speaking spell, I said. The translator did not like that, Kay and the scientist said together. An early human computer product, very primitive by our standards today, but we used them to teach our children how to write correctly. 
you build things like this yourselves without nanites from the curators? Nanites? All of our microscopic machines are made by them. We don't actually know how the curators originally made them, but we know how to use them and make them make more of their own kind. The civilian fold ship had been at Earth for three years, and this was something we apparently had not learned about the aliens' technology, or if we had, our leaders had not bothered to share it with the general population. Some of our futurists have speculated on the possibility of nanites, but we haven't learned to make our own. We make computers by direct manufacturing. But how? Sorry, but I'm a doctor, not an engineer. I understand that it somehow involves etching patterns on the surface of silicon wafers, but I really have no idea how it works. After we left, Kay plied me with a fifth of Johnny Walker Blue, a luxury I could not afford in Earth's decidedly non-post-scarcity economy. We did not know you could make electronics from scratch, it said. Your negotiators seem to have forgotten to mention that. Did you tell them that you can't make your own without the curator's nanites? Of course, we take it for granted. That's true of everybody. Well, they may have feared you would think it dangerous knowledge. Considering that they were developing a fold drive and an improperly figured fold drive can fold your world into its host star by accident, I can't imagine what they would find dangerous about. I sprayed a very expensive shot of scotch across the room. A fold drive can do what? It can destroy a world. Isn't it obvious? The fold drive folds space-time so that distant points touch and matter and energy can cross over. The two most obvious nearby peaks when you're working on a habitable world are the center of the world itself and then of the star it orbits. Moving a habitable world to the center of a star tends to ruin its habitability. Do our people know this? The ones working on the drive do, now that we've told them. My understanding is that they had already figured out the danger themselves and were exercising proper care. And this is general knowledge around the galaxy. Of course. One reason we diverted to visit you is a bit of worry that you might do something unfortunate by accident. It's a fate many races warn their young of to shock them into acting more responsibly. Has it ever happened? The curators are explicit with their warnings when they give us the full drive, so it's very rare, but some races have turned out to be a bit careless, Kay said. I think I need to get back to Earth, I said a bit shakily. The fold ship screep returns to Seville in about six Earth days. At that point, my fold ship screep will probably already be present and should return to Earth with new researchers within an Earth lunar cycle. While I was waiting to depart Seville, the news arrived that the Pompeian archaeologists had found their tablet of writing. Unfortunately, having been buried by a pyroclastic flow, it would not be one of the few that were operational. Meanwhile, I needed to have a word with the people developing our human fold drive. It was a word our new friends didn't seem to know, and one I now was very afraid to say around them. Weapon. Fuck. Part 4. The Foldship project was, of course, one of the most important and high-security projects in human history, but I was the only human to have made the side trip to the world I had called Pompeii, and the opportunity to debrief me about that was enough to get me an appointment with the project director. Excuse me. 
He didn't seem to find much that I said surprising, although I was surprised that he called the world that I had visited Pompeii. Oh, somebody seems to have given them some names, he said in a tone halfway between jovial and sneering. It was just a shorthand for the translator, I said. So you obviously thought at the time what you didn't realize is those little tablets they have aren't very smart. They can't play what we would consider proper video, and they only have a few megabytes of local storage. They are completely dependent on a microfold link to a data processing center on their home world to do anything useful. Since they have as much energy as they want from fold technology, those centers are enormous, cubic miles in extent. Every inhabited world in the galaxy has several. Wait, what? They are in real-time communication across light years? Amazing, isn't it? For computers comparable to something we would have made in 1990. But they've been spacefaring for hundreds of thousands of years. Yes, but they've also been curated. They were given nanites. That makes it so easy for them to build what they have. The effort to go beyond what the nanites can do never seems to quite be invested. I have to ask you something. My friend Kay told me that a full drive can destroy a planet. It was telling the truth. Our new friends don't seem to do guile well. And our people knew this? Of course. There are three fundamental constants which determine the extent and range of the fold effect. And there's no way to find out what they are except to make a fold. And if you get them wrong, it will fold the two nearest large masses together, which is why we made our first experimental fold ship a robotic interplanetary probe. And we did our first experiments from the Mars solar Lagrange point when Earth was on the far side of the sun from Mars. Since we didn't know the constants, our first experiments were unbalanced, and this is what our friends detective and why they moved to save us from our folly. How close did we come to annihilation? Give us some credit. We might have folded Mars into the sun, but even that was very unlikely, and we would have figured out the constants for ourselves within a year. Our experimental protocol was on track when our new friends surprised us by arriving. Kay said they used the danger to warn their young to be responsible. Yes, not a bad idea. But the curators give them the values for the constants. None of them have ever had to exercise caution to learn them the hard way at risk. Kay said some species were still, as it said, careless. Well, you can't cure stupid. Stupid normally can't destroy a planet. Stupid can destroy more than you realize. Ever study World War I? Okay, but has it ever occurred to anybody to make this thing into a weapon instead of a space travel device? Fancy a drink? The director produced a bottle of 1800 scotch from a desk drawer, and I nodded somberly. Of course we have, he said as he poured me a straight shot. We also asked as closely as we dared if our alien friends had ever done so. The answer in every context was no. Making a fold ship into a planet killer also makes it a suicide run because the fold ship also folds itself into the star. So it can't be used that way? I didn't say that. As with their less than stellar computing devices, none of them seem to have autonomous probes with fold drives. Their fold ships need sentient guidance to operate, and they also don't seem to have the concept of suicide as triumph. And our very first fold ship is an autonomous probe, I said. The director held up his shot glass, and I joined him in a rather morbid salute to my species. Just how easy is it to make a fold drive, I asked. Some of our fellow humans would fold us into the sun just for spite. 
It's far too easy if you have the nanites in the programming system, which is common on their worlds. We have told the aliens we're afraid of what the curators might do if they find out we've been given that technology, but we're really more afraid of, the, of our own people getting it. We're also not planning to duplicate their ground-to-orbit technology anytime soon for similar reasons. Fortunately, they don't have much of a answer for ground-to-orbit if there isn't a fold-based ground infrastructure waiting for them, and making them rely on our chemical rockets gives us a bit of a barrier. Wait a minute, how do they deal with new worlds then? The director poured himself another shot, offered, and I accepted. There really are no new worlds for these guys, he said as he tossed it back. The worlds they discover have been curated and have transport networks as the curators intended. They don't seek out uninhabited planets and worlds and wouldn't know what to do with one if they stumbled across it. I think I need to get back to my practice, I said as the scotch began to make its effect known. Oh, I don't think that would be a very good idea. Your clinic is in the middle of an excellent path for a new highway and the eminent domain papers are ready to be delivered. What? We don't know shit about this galaxy we find ourselves living in, and you have an inside track to learn more. Investigate this mark of the curators with your friend Kay. We will pay you fabulously well. It is one of the few things our mostly incurious new friends are very curious about. And frankly, we are pretty curious here, too. You see, it's not the races the curators have groomed that we fear. They have all settled at a tech level we think we can match in a few decades, and we've already exceeded in some areas. Beyond our worry about what our own assholes would do with their technology, it's the curators themselves that we fear. We don't know why they curate. We don't know why they didn't curate us. We don't know the extent of their power. They are obviously active in the present day, and we don't know what they might do when they realize we have appeared on the galactic stage. I'm just a dermatologist, I protested. You want me to suddenly be James Bond? Oh, we want you to be far more than James Bond. Bond didn't have to deal with a galaxy full of alien species. Hell, he only went into low Earth orbit once in the movies. You've already visited and named two alien worlds orbiting other stars. And it turns out you are just what your species needs because it is a mark on the skin that is at the core of all of this. We don't know anything about the curators and we don't know much about the few aliens we've met, but we know a lot about ourselves and we know that even though we aren't curated, we come from the same basic curator tree of life that they do. And one thing I I do know about humans is that when we put a mark on something, it's often because we think we own it. So it was that a week later, I was on another rocket shuttle headed back to the K's folding ship and the world I had named Seville. But this time I did something that was expressly forbidden in the densely worded contract I had once signed. I loaded some carefully selected apps and files and packed my cell phone and a solar charger. Let's 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 pause there on the readings for today. I gotta go pee real quick, but holy fucking shit, dude! Holy shit, <laughs> Roger monologue! Holy shit, dude! Well, I already told you all where to get my novel, so uh, that uh, was parts one through four of the curators. Uh, there are a total of four books totaling two hundred thousand words and curators and book one the longest is 80,000 words and it has 50 of these episodes each of which is about 2,000 words so uh, we'll uh, do a few of these I guess each time uh, 
today's podcast is uh, a little short, I guess, because of Tommy's commitments. Uh, but uh, I'm thinking we'll probably get through book one in about uh, five, you know, five or six, well, a few months. And uh, then we'll see. I, I, I made some changes to how I was writing and uh, some of the conventions in the books that followed. Uh, but it was a fun project. It took me about two years. Uh, and it won't take us that long because uh, I was releasing these episodes at the rate of one per week when I was writing them for Reddit. Uh, and we'll be doing more like four or five a week here. Uh, Man. So uh, okay. that was our beginning on the epic journey of the curators. And everybody listening, as I told Roger beforehand, I had the the lucky unluckiness of having a lot of guests say yes in a short amount of time when normally most say no. This has happened once before where all of a sudden I have several authors in the next couple of days that I got to bang out and get their books finished. So Roger and I are doing a shorter episode today. That being said, first of all, I, I like the nod to uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but I also like what intentional or not. Or perhaps it wasn't a nod to this, but rather it's just a recurring theme in our in our world. Was a little uh, Rumsfeldian post nine eleven. There are known knowns, there are known unknowns, and there are unknown unknowns. Right, and it's yeah. you do tend to, or you can go to Independence Day, the movie, and it's you know two words, Mister President, plausible deniability. But what's the whole purpose? Is they have the lab because we see these things or or director fury in, in in the avengers when it's like why do you need the avengers initiative and he was like we got basically he says like we got away from those aliens on like on a mm-hmm. fluke he goes we are outgunned hopelessly outgunned we are hilariously outgunned <laughs> but you see it in fiction and non-fiction this kind of running theme that like the very tippy top Right, Leo Szilard coming to the United States and writing a letter to FDR, he's like, there exists the possibility for a uranium bomb. There's no way to shy away from it, so we might as well take the lead. You do see that, and I think you reflect it well, of everyone else is like, alien contact, whereas they're like, this is a weapon, and there are foes. Yeah. The, uh, well, well, the, this series was written for the Reddit group Humanity Fuck Yeah, mm-hmm. HFY, uh, which is devoted to stories. It's a writer's group. They mm-hmm. encourage writing and they have a lot of material that people post there. Um, but their focus is on stories about how humans are ascendant, how we are uh, triumphant in our relations with. Uh, other beings in uh, in outer space. And it was started as a direct rebuke to the movie Avatar, where humans suck, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because we're, we're basically evil and we lose the battle. And, you know, there it's like uh, these guys who started HFY were just like, you know, no, we're not like that. You know, it's like, uh, you know, we will kick your ass if, yeah. if, if it comes to that. Yeah, yeah we, might, we might be evil, but we're not going to lose the battle. You know, yeah. and be evil. Yeah. Like, you know. One of the other. So, yeah. So most of the HFY stories basically depict like human stormtroopers stomping across the galaxy and how we're bigger, you know, and, and stronger and smarter and, you know, are, are clever. It's like even, you know, we, we meet an alien who's 10 times as strong as we are, but we can outsmart it and, and trick it and things mm-hmm. like that. And 
uh, I liked the fact that they were a welcoming group because I hadn't had a welcoming place to put my writing since Corrosion folded under. And, uh, and I thought of this idea about how we were the race that wasn't curated. It was sort of like Harry Potter being uh-huh. the one that lived, uh-huh. you know, and and how that translates because we had to do it all ourselves. Well, you have a very and, you have a very pull yourself up by your bootstraps uh, theme, right? Yes, you and and it, and it gets much stronger yeah. uh, in in the next few uh, episodes because we didn't have all of these helpful. Mm-hmm. aids that the aliens did and so when we do figure out how to do something it's not as limited sure because we figured it out from first principles uh most of the alien stuff is going to turn out to be made of nanites that they don't know how to make themselves they know how to make them reproduce but they don't know how the curates made, how the curators made the first ones and so it's like building your entire world out of lego yeah. if lego bricks were free and they assembled themselves. Yeah. Well, of course, you would build your house out of Lego. You would build everything out of Lego. Yeah. But a car made out of Lego is not going to perform as well as one made out of steel and fiberglass. Yeah. So we come along and it's like no one gave us the Lego bricks. Yeah. So we had to figure out how to do it all the hard way. And that will be the source of our greatest strength. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's going to take, like uh, you said, it's, it's actually not a long story for the epic scope that it has uh, is because as you can see we have not left yet the solar system in episode four that's about to change and by the time it's done we will have not only left but colonized other galaxies mm-hmm. there's the so like an analogy I could maybe draw at least from my own experiences is um not from anyone I've had on the podcast, but there is someone, they'll remain nameless, who emailed me, had just started a podcast, and I think they have, like, one episode up, and they asked me, they're like, hey, will you, like, will you post my podcast? Like, will you show my podcast? And I was kind of like, no. Like, no. <laughs> and what I told the individual was, and I said, hey, if if in a year you are still interested and you have done a hundred episodes. I'll have you on my podcast, and we can talk about. Um, but then the question eventually arose with other people. They're like, "Well, well where do you?" And, and excuse all of this if it sounds like self congratulatory, but it's like, "Well, how how'd you get to where you are? How, how'd you do the podcast?" And I was like, "Well, there's this like very long road of trial and error, and it's it's not even all the same." It's like the trial and error early on is different than the trial and error now. The trial and error mm-hmm. trial and error early on was like forming a planet or a moon in a solar system accretion disk. It was like the very first thing I had to do was just get a guest so that when I went to the second guest, I could say, hey, I've already had a guest. And just do that with friends until you can get 20. And then yeah. maybe I, w- I would go on, on Reddit and I wouldn't even find authors. I would just find people who did interesting AMAs. And I'll be like, do you want to do my podcast? I've already had 20 guests. They're not going to look through every guest. They just see I have 20 episodes. And then once you can snag an author, well, then mm-hmm. you can sort of repeat that theme with an author until it kind of just keeps and you keep doing these stair step things. And then all the while, right, you're you're tuning up the quality of the video, the audio. You're listening back to your episodes. You're trying to get better at presentation, at, um, at editing out bathroom breaks, right? Knock on wood. But a bunch of little shit. 
until it, it gets to where it is now. And I can only imagine in a year, you and I will be doing an episode. We'll be looking back at this and being like, whoo, whoo, that was some, uh, that was some of those early episodes, you know, not our best. And it will be like, but right now it feels like we're doing our best compared to our early episodes, right? Think way back to yeah. like, who knows? And you can just see how far it's come since then. But the point is yeah. with all that is, is when you're forced. And, and that's, that's the way the curators is going to progress. Because right now we have one prototype full drive that barely works. Yeah. And uh, we are on, on, our, on, on the start, though, to the path to become a galactic power. The, 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 the next step will be to figure out what, what book one is mostly about is figuring out where we stand. Mm-hmm with respect to this uh, galactic civilization, which turns out to have about a million habitable worlds Mm -hmm. with intelligent life on them, um, but is also very stunted because the curators have given them gifts that in some cases turned out to be traps. And we come along, the curators, for whatever reason, decided not to curate us. And so that's our strength. We figured out how to do things the hard way. And that's often more powerful. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like we figured out how to actually melt steel instead of making bridges out of Lego. So that's uh, a theme that will be developed through the next 50 of those episodes in book one. Then in book two, things will change up a bit. Uh, In book one, I was really uh diligently not looking ahead i wanted it to have the feel of one of those uh saturday afternoon serials that my dad told me so much about at the movies um and so i made a point of not even thinking about the next episode until the previous one had posted and i had read the comments on saturday and sunday uh and then maybe you know tuesday or wednesday i would write the next episode and I did that for 50 episodes. I also didn't use names. You'll you'll notice that, you know, we have K mm-hmm. as our first alien. And uh, I used the letters as names device in my essay, A Casino Odyssey, which uh, was what made my reputation on Corrosion when I was talking about the card counting team and, uh, and how we made advantage play gambling worked. And I used the letters as names device to preserve the privacy because the team was still operating at that time. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was kind of cool. And I didn't want to get into the mixel flick, this thing that all of the guys on HFY seem to get into. They have actual threads, uh, you know, for the aspiring writers about how to name your aliens, you know, what works, what doesn't. And I just wanted to just bypass that. And so, I ended up using letters for all of my characters or I was just referred to them by their function. Mm -hmm. It's like the human form curator or something like that. Um, And for book two, I realized that that had gotten old. And so I went back and and gave uh, all of my active characters names. uh, And uh, I also had to write ahead because at the beginning of book two, uh, book two is where humans begin establishing a prominent role in the galaxy. And the first thing they have to do is clean up the political mess on Earth because Earth doesn't have a unified government. And that meant I had to figure out what had happened to the governments of Earth by the early 22nd century, uh, which is uh, about where we get to book two. I also had to go back and figure out the timeline because I had just been winging it. Mm -hmm. And then I realized I don't have any 
friggin' idea what year it is. Well, <laughs> so a, I had to figure out how old everybody was and everything. Well, there, um, there's even some beauty. There's even some poetic uh, parallels in that, in that a curator writer would have would have like a, a scaffolding, a rough outline. Make sure you fill in the backstory versus kind of what you're doing is fuck it do it live it's right yeah but i mean it's like eminem right if you <clears throat> ever watch those early rap battles of eminem goes yes like freestyle it was, battles it's very it was very much like doing that uh it, yeah. it was it was and, and i had i was astonished at how well it turned out in all honesty let me f- uh there there are a few continuity errors if you look from the the final two books back to the first one but for the most part it flows really well and it's like and i had no idea where the hell it was going at any at any point <laughs> there there is one of the early m&m battles is because the whole thing about rap battles is supposed to kind of be off the top not kind of supposed to be off the top of your head and mm-hmm. then the biggest and most common way to cheat is like you have a whole bunch of written things that you pull out and try to make it look like it's off the top like almost like mad libs like you just fill in the name yeah. of the person you're battling against and so Eminem would call them out for that and um uh it's Dr. Dre Eminem let me find it um uh well, what the name? What the hell is the name of it? It's um. There's this one little clip I want to defiant ones. Yeah, let me. There's probably going to be an ad. Yeah, I'll let that play real quick. Um, and then but yeah, before we do this, then we got to wrap it up. Is but there's also an interesting similarity in the full drive with the Manhattan Project and with the creation mm-hmm. of the of the fusion bomb was. We don't know if it's gonna. You know, we took precautions. That being said, there's a chance it's going to light the atmosphere on fire and uh, the world's over. But we're pretty sure it's not going to happen, but it might. Yeah. Things like that will be a recurring theme in the the curators. As as humans develop this technology further than anyone else has ever developed it before. Yeah. Uh, we, We will be the ones going... Uh, oh, this is a communication device, but it works by by harvesting photons and folding just electromagnetic energy. Uh, What would happen if we put the other end of this thing in the center of the sun? Oh yeah, would it? Right. It's it's (laughs) you know if if we let enriched radioactive materials decay, we can heat up water and drive pistons. Yeah, or or. Or just that is exactly what happens. They are researching how to make a power plant yeah. out of it, and the and the military guys come along and say, "Hey, wait a minute! This would make just, a damn nice weapon." Just just, just spitballing here, just spitballing free energy it's for like, all of the United States. Or why don't we just crank it up and aim it at something? Or or hear me out, Oppenheimer. <laughs> hear me out. Drop it on a city of women and children. I'm just spitballing here, guys, and they're like, "Bully! It's brilliant! Fire!" <laughs> But that kind of is the nature of things, right? But it's you can see where that sort of, for better or worse, sharpens humanity to become this like yeah. this this dominating like alpha predator. Everyone else that's, is that's like, kind of what's going to happen. Uh, you mentioned rap battles, though, and uh, one of the things that happened toward the end of of the existence of Corrosion was we had a rap battle. Yeah, yeah, I remember you telling me about it in text. And uh, at first, I was just doing this, like, uh, you know, they were doing all this violent shit and this, like, you know, calling out Eminem and talking about how we're going to stomp your shit and all this. And I was just, like, being peaceful and, and, and you know, going, it's like, you've got Eminem, I've got Dr. Seuss. And, uh, and finally, someone 
pointed out it's like look dude these are the rules it's like you do multiple rhymes you try to get as many rhymes as possible because i didn't realize what the goal was a lot of times with rap so it's like oh okay so uh i i wrote the quatrain to asimov i have sometimes been compared you ought to check out an opinion he aired though violent energy must sometimes be spent it's still the last refuge of the incompetent and then one of the other users just said, I declare you the winner. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's, 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 oh, you, and it took me a month to stop thinking in rhyme after that. Oh, yeah. There's a, <laughs> speaking of which, it's kind of off topic. There's a, there's a quote I read this morning from General James Mattis. And he's talking about how you should always be reading because if you haven't, then you're not going to be on the most lethal edge. He was like, you know, famous people, famous, brilliant people write memoirs at the end of their lives. They live these long, you know, like a Carnegie or a Vanderbilt or mm-hmm. a Christopher Columbus or a Genghis Khan. Like they live these insane lives and then they write at the end of it and they distill decades of rich experience down into a couple hundred pages. He was like, if you're not reading these. So he I this quote from James Mattis. If you haven't read hundreds of books, you're functionally illiterate. And it just kind of you can kind of tie it into curators where it's like always be learning everything because there are, you know, if you're handed something, then you're not, I mean, sure it's great and all, but like you don't, it's kind of like what we talked about, like creating the atomic bomb where you're like, no one ever had to create an atomic bomb before until the humans who don't have nanites. And there is conflict from resource scarcity eventually over 1,945 years, at least in our new calendar led to the dropping (laughs) of an atomic bomb. Yeah. Actually, one of the continuity errors that will occur is that, uh, within a few episodes, it will be mentioned that only a few species have ever bothered to develop nuclear energy and nuclear weapons. But in the later going, it will be, established that no one has ever done that before because with the nanites it just wasn't necessary and no one thought of it so uh that was one of the few things it's it's actually remarkable how few continuity errors like that snuck in considering that i wrote two hundred thousand words two thousand words at a time without ever looking too far into the future of, of what i was writing but uh you know, at first I figured, well, a few people have probably done this. But then as I was laying more of the groundwork and, and getting deeper into how the curators worked and how these other species work, I realized, no, this is actually something no one has ever done before, uh, except maybe for the curator's own ancestors, which become an issue in the fourth book. So we'll, we'll <laughs> wrap it up with this is it's uh, Dr. Dre telling how he discovered Eminem and he's listening to this tape that someone brought in but it's Eminem in a freestyle rap battle calling out someone else for not not doing freestyle this is Dr. Dre talking cassette tapes everywhere and I remember him picking up this cassette tape he pops this in and I was like what the fuck and who the fuck is that? We won. Play that again.
bastard. Especially yeah. when you wrote 90% of it. You thought this was written, but it wasn't. I'll beat your ass just like a jealous husband. <laughs> yeah. I'm following the rules. I'm doing this the way it's supposed to be done. You're cheating, man. It's from, like, get the fuck out of here. From curators <laughs> to Eminem. And uh, as we wrap this up, Roger, I can't help but notice what a wonderful shirt you're wearing. Where did you get that shirt? Oh, I got it at some Spotify shop. Uh, some guy I know. It's like, uh, you know, it's really well made. It's a favorite of mine, actually. Fuck yeah. Go buy the merch. Sluts. Yeah, I actually have been meaning to go by your shop and buy a couple of more, but I just haven't do gotten around to it. Do because not ever it's... feel obligated. Do it because you want yeah. a shirt. Don't ever do it out of... Actually, yeah. to anybody listening, feel free to do it out of sympathy and buy. But no, I want I want people to get it because it's the best thing. This and is this is the Area Fifty One shirt. Fuck yeah! Got got your buddy Bob Lazar here. Got all of his diagrams, his UFOs, the alien. I think is on the lower back. Uh, you know, it's uh, you know, got your newspaper clippings and shit. Uh, it's it's totally rad and uh, still holding it's, up. Yeah, oh yeah, and 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 this shirt is it's uh, it's printed by Infusion, which incidentally, the more expensive shirts are not; they're screen printed. Hmm. This shirt was printed by Infusion, so the ink is embedded into the fabric. It's not sitting on top. You can't feel the design. Like if you if you look at the shirt that I sent you, that was the more expensive mm-hmm. one, you can feel the design because the the ink is kind of sitting on top of the fabric. Uh, this shirt was actually printed by a superior method, uh, and it was printed as panels before it was assembled. So there's no gaps. Uh, you can look at where the seams join. Uh, the patterns that are printed go into the seam. Uh, they were there before these panels were assembled. So this shirt was probably assembled in North America. In fact, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised that it was assembled in the United States. So this is a very high-quality product. And uh, when I showed this to our marketing director, she was like, yes, that's what that costs. It's a very nice shirt. So, uh, yeah, I, I have been meaning to go uh, pick up a couple more. It's just, uh, yeah, things things get busy. Do, not, uh, shit yeah, like do that. not feel obligated. You've already done but, more than uh, enough. Don't feel obligated. But, uh, but yeah, no, I, uh, I, I didn't just put this shirt on right before the, uh, the meeting. I wore this shirt to Chili's this morning to meet yeah. Andrew, my friend there. And it's like, yeah. you know, uh, in fact, he even asked about it. It's like, cause he's seen me wear it a couple of times. And he was finally like, you know, uh, what is this? It's like, Oh wait, it's Roswell, isn't it? And it's like, yep. Fuck area yeah. 51. <laughs> I got, I got this one in the mail and it's, it's the, it's just the fair one of a, some different colors. There's like an electric blue one. There's this one, and I was wearing it this morning. I was looking the took it out of the packaging like two hours ago. And I looked <laughs> at it in the mirror, and I like it. Definitely seems like it's kind of toothpaste. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I should have just put oh. Crest. Uh, what do you put your flag up? Oh yeah, no, I need to put that up today. No, I need to put it up for. I have an author tomorrow. I need to put it up for. It has to be up. Yeah, because you saw I came to your defense. I did. I when, saw I mean, that. I saw that. Some, some commenter, shout out to that commenter. He's commented on before. I know he's a fan. He was like, like yeah, he was like, those panels me. are an eyesore. And I was like, dog. And Roger came in and he's like, no, they, they do have an effective. Yeah, you need to listen to the episode that I did yeah. before, before Tommy hung those panels. It's oh, like, dude, it, it sounded awful. like it sounded like it was in a solitary. <laughs> it sounded like it was in a solitary confinement room. It was like va 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 va. It's just echoing. It's like we both sounded like the adults in a Charlie Brown cartoon. Yeah, uh-huh. dude. <laughs> and 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 for the record, not not hating on that commenter. I know he's a fan of the show, so I'm not not trying to not trying to bully him. Oh, no. Hey, I appreciate any comments, but did you know that the 
guy that voices Charlie Brown went to jail for threatening a sheriff. He was in jail for five years, oh. and he, he got out, like, last year. I'm trying to get in touch with him. I want him to get him on the podcast. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. I, See I if you he, can get that. Yeah, I think he fell on hard times. There's, like, an interview with him. You can tell the dude's yeah. clearly not, like, a bad person. It just – but, uh, yeah, I'm trying to get in touch with him. The voice of Charlie Brown went to jail for threatening a sheriff, which, I mean, it's kind of metal, but <laughs> – <laughs> Someone was like, this is what you get when you pull away the football at the last second while he's trying to kick it. Years later, it adds up, and it turns into an outward threat against law enforcement. But uh, yep. speaking Not going to do it this time, Lucy. Yeah, yeah. Not going to do it this time. Not going to do it this time. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. How do you like that, bitch? How do you like that? Pull it away now. <laughs> Good grief. I committed a homicide. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> It's just, it's just the judge. Like death, death penalty. Oh, good grief! But uh, we got to wrap this up because I do have authors on nonstop because I'm a moron. But um, I will not turn any of them down. It's a matter of pride for me. So we got to wrap this one up, Roger. Thank you for your patience All with right. me today. Thank you for the reading. As hey. always, I love you, brother. And we will, we won't convene. Because I'm going for my friend's birthday. I'm going to be gone Friday and Saturday and be back Sunday night. So maybe we'll reconvene yeah. during the week next week, or we might kick it down the road. Right. To yeah. Ne- yeah. Uh, next next Sunday, my dad and I are probably going to go see Quiet Place 2 anyway in the theater. Nice. It's okay. a reasonable hour, so okay. it's like, yeah, there's going to be a lot of chance next okay. weekend for well, me. I, yeah, I, I will not be I will not be doing a podcast this week. So, and I just yeah, if you, if, you got, if you got a slot open the, yeah, during the week, just Fuck let yeah. me know. Fuck yeah. Yeah, and I saw the ads for Quiet Place too. Yeah, it looks, uh, mm-hmm. looks really Yeah, and, and the guy who made it was on uh, on Colbert in person sitting next to Evie. It was hilarious. I need to get him on. I need to start poaching people. This August, <laughs> I might be having someone that was on Joe Rogan. That will be my first trophy kill. Stealing a ro- <laughs> stealing a Rogan guest. Now, we're crawling up, baby. We're we're sifting through the sands. We're getting the gunshot. We're getting. We're starting to poach now. We're moving out of the. We're moving out of the. We're moving out of the woods. We're no longer swinging from tree branch to tree branch. Now we're going and stealing. We're stealing hens. Mm-hmm. We're coming for you, Rogan. Yeah. Excuse me. <laughs> All right, I got to wrap this shit up. I got shit to do. Roger, I love you, my man. I'll send you when it's up, and uh, till next time. Peace. God bless The everybody. recording has stopped. Fuck you, Zoom. <laughs>